Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Remember, worship is not just a way of starting a service. Spiritual transactions take place in the time of corporate worship. It's a time of engagement. It's a time of uh, where we exercise our spirit man, not just to worship him, but uh, to create context for, for, for engagement and transactions to take place in. So I want to encourage us all, when we do worship God, we do so with full involvement, full mental concentration, total spirit, soul, and bodily involvement, totally sold out in terms of our focus upon our Heavenly Father. And um, I think this morning, particularly the, the songs that were chosen and the songs that we sang uh, were relevant to where we are as a church. God is definitely doing a new thing. And the scripture in Isaiah, I think 43, says, Behold, I will do a new thing, but will you know it? The question is, I will do it, but will you be aware of it? So we always got to be fully aware of the new thing or the new season that God expects of us in our journey in Christ. On New Year's night, I shared with you that I believe very, very seriously in my own heart that we are now going to see the effects of grace, the outworkings of grace, one of which is the favor of the Lord, where God's going to deal preferentially with us amongst many people. God looks at the group, but He isolates you, and He gives you an advantage or an edge above others within your sphere. And it will be nothing more than the, sh- the goodness of the great hand of God upon your life. Nehemiah referenced this phrase consistently. Um, when, when Quinton drew reference to Nehemiah in terms of the favor that God displayed upon him because he had corporate concern for Jerusalem. So the favor privately was for corporate purpose. God never favors a man for self-indulgence. Your favor upon your life is so that he blesses you to be a blessing. That's what God said to Abraham. I will bless you. Notice the order. God said to him, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I'm not going to bless you so that the blessing can dam up with you. I will bless you so that in and through you, you can be like a pipe or conduit that my blessing can flow in and through you to others. So whenever God blesses us, is with the idea of stewardship. I will steward the blessing of God. But if I'm selfish, if I'm me-centered, if I'm not other people-focused, and it's all about me, myself, and I, there will be restrictions to what God gives you because God knows what I give you ends up with you but never goes beyond you. If whatever God gives you ends up with you, you always place limitation of what God can release to you. So you must always position yourself with this mentality. Bless me so that I can be a blessing to others. I can never ever be a blessing to others if I'm not blessed. But to be blessed to the capacity that I believe God has in store for us is first to be other people-centered. And when Nehemiah made representation to the king, and consistently you'll find this in chapter 1, 2, and 3. He references the good hand of my God was on me. He was an unmistakable awareness within the man's thinking that all of this is nothing more than the hand of God upon my life. And he doesn't just reference the hand of God. It says the good hand of the God of heaven. I like what he says. Consistently calls God the God of heaven, His good hand was upon me. Amen. So tell your neighbor the hand of God is on you. 
I was glad that the Lord prophetically called us to focus on those that passed matric and those transitioning into high school. I believe we must acknowledge God in every phase of accomplishment. And I want to teach, that's why I'm doing this consciously to the young people. This must become a feature of your life. Everything you wrap up and you say, that's done. I'm about to embark upon a new course. You stop, you pause, you acknowledge, you give thanks to God, and you set yourself for the next phase armed with this knowledge. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. This God who brought me this far is the same God that's going to take me further. Okay? And you rely consistently upon the, upon the Lord. And God is a good Father who will, will give you all things to enjoy. The Bible says, I think it's in Romans 8 and verse 32, if I'm not mistaken, that if God did not spare His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, how much more, yes, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him or gave Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? It's like if He, if he, if he chose not to withhold Jesus, but gave Jesus to the earth, and Jesus represents the treasure within the Godhead, so to speak. The Son dynamic within the Godhead is that dynamic within the Godhead that chooses out of submission to do the will of the Father. And the giving out of the Son is the giving out of the essence of God Himself. So this, Paul is convinced, if God did not withheld that, how shall He not also, everyone say, with Him. Let's say, with Him, in addition to Him, but with Him, freely then give us all things. Everyone say all things. So he has given us freely all things to enjoy. Okay? Now we are at that stage, I believe, firmly I want to re-echo this. The favor of God is upon this congregation. The blessing of God is upon this congregation. No more will it be positional, but it's now going to be practical. It's going to be demonstrable and it's going to be overt. We're going to walk in it to such a degree. Now please bear in mind. We will be blessed, I, I said to you initially, to the degree that we are committed to fulfill the purposes of the Lord. The, the prosperity attendant with you most often is conditional with your assignment in God. If you're focused on what to do, you see, God will never give wood to Noah if Noah is not committed to building an ark. The moment you commit to the assignment, God says, well, everything you need to accomplish my task, I will release to you. Because you're now managing resource, but it's for a greater corporate objective. Right? It's never self-indulgent, never ends with you. Its effect is going to be global. And, you know, I will share with you much more. I actually got five sermons there. I'll show you. got five sets of notes here. Right? So I'm going to go a bit everywhere here, but we'll see how the Lord leads us today. Amen. There's so much on my heart that I want to share with you. I want to say definitively, we are in a new time frame in God. And it's not because we are in a new year. The new year has really very little to do with it. God has said to me prophetically, there's been certain things laid up in store within the fabric and the mentality of the people of God in this house. Now you are ready to steward what if you, if you constantly observe those principles, now I will release to you the things that you need to, the things that you need to steward on, on God's behalf. For the intent of bringing blessing to multiplicity of people far and wide. Amen. Blessing of multiplicity of people far and wide. So we said that this is the year of the favor of the Lord. Okay. I hope you're all ready to quote Psalm 102, verse 13 and 14. Yep. You all memorize it? You know what I discovered? How can God give you something if you're not going to prioritize the principle in His Word that that thing is going to bring to you? That's why, you know what? What was Joshua's success? This book of the law will not depart out of your eyes, your sight. You will meditate when? Therein, when? Not now and then when you feel like it. Not in December. <laughs> not 
<laughs> a lot of people uh, take a spiritual break in December and, and January, right? You can't go on holiday from prayer and the Word of God, right? It's, in, it's unbiblical. You can't let Babylon's time clock dictate to you how you posture yourself spiritually. I guarantee you most people, even though you had more time on your hands, because you were not working, you were on holiday, you had more time on your hands, very few people gave more time to God in terms of private study and prayer of the Word of God. I often hear the excuse, I don't have time because I'm working. But then I argue, but when you're not working, that is still not your priority. Hmm? Things have got to change. So this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate therein day and night, that you might observe to do all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I would have think God would have said to Joshua, Joshua, yeah, yes, Moses' staff, inherit his staff. Because, I mean, Joseph, uh, uh, Joshua saw Moses use that staff to great effect. Powerful miracles affected with that icon of the power of God's, uh, uh, God's power in Moses' hand. But Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 starts like this. Now, Joshua, God says, Moses, my servant is dead. That dynamic is gone. It's over. If you want to enjoy now, Joshua, your new leader taking his place, you want to enjoy the same level of success as your predecessor in leading these people? He brought them out from Egypt. You're going to take them into the promised land. The key to your success, new leader, is this book of the law. Right? This is your GPS. This book of the law will not depart out of your sight. Meditate the in day and night. I listened to the meditation series. It's a beautiful CD there. I was joking to the girls as they were sitting up there. I said, the spiritual man CDs are stacked up. It's like hardly anyone buys them. Yet, in my mind, that CD, though, that, 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 that series contains some powerful principles that will set you off. You see, it's spirit, soul, and body. Many people want to get things right in the body and soul, but you start in the, in the spirit. And that deals in large respect to how to position yourself to develop your spirit quality and your spiritual capacity. So in the week I listened to meditation, the meditation series. I wanted to refresh my own mind of the principles. And I made a new commitment in my heart. I said, God, I'm going to meditate on your word more than ever before. I'm going to memorize scripture more than ever before. That word's going to be installed. I'm going to log it. I'm going to save it like I save a file on a PC. I'm going to take a verse of scripture. I'm going to file it and save it there. You see, to the extent that the word is in you will be the degree to which the word works itself out from you. If you put nothing in, but you're expecting much out, it's not going to work. As a man thinks, so is he. If you're thinking the word, that's going to be your easy. That word's going to become practicalized. So I encourage you all to at least install the signature verse. Psalm 102, verse 13 and, and 14. Remember? Can we quote it? Don't put it up yet. <laughs> okay. I, I want you to learn it in the New King James Version. So I like how it's framed there. Okay? Come on, let's quote it. For you will arise. Okay, I'm not going to say it. You say it. One, two, three. For the time, for you will arise. I like the way it starts. You know, as we were singing the songs a moment ago, where Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. That's a commandment to us. We must arise and shine. In Psalm, I think it's in Isaiah 64, where watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem had to copy or mirror the position of God in the heavens. God says in the heavens, I will not rest 
I will give no sleep to my eyes. I will not rest until I make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then it says in verse 6, the watchman on the walls says, You give yourself no rest until I do this for Israel that I have promised. So what was God expecting of the watchman? The watchmen were to mirror on the earth the position of God in the unseen heavens. So if God is giving himself no sleep or rest, he says to men of the earth, prayer warriors, watchmen on the walls, now you do it. You give yourself no rest. So while we were singing that song, that thought gripped me. Isaiah says, arise and shine for your light has come. Now we are rising because God is arising. Right? And let's just, let's just put it up for those of you that don't know it. For you will arise. That's how the verse starts. There's an arising in God that must be mirrored in us. Right? God is arising. You will arise and you will have mercy on Zion, which is the church, for the time to favor the eth, general time. I like the word yes here. It couldn't, shouldn't have been there, but the psalmist said, yes. Everyone say yes. yes. This is not maybe, perhaps, hit and run, if, whatever. This is certainly yes. He says, eth, general, the, the Hebrew word eth is the, the use of time in the general sense. But he uses a different Hebrew word when he says set time, mohed, a definitive time period where God's events are going to break forth powerfully in your life. Everyone say yes. yes. Come on, I need to build it. Say yes. yes. You must not go into this year with pessimistic mindsets. If you're starting off the year like that, you're already starting off on the wrong foot, the back foot. You must say to yourself, this year is going to be the best year of my life. I'm not saying it as a matter of positive speech or faith confessions. I've said this to you on New Year's. The release of that word was born out of a sincere conviction that this year is going to be the most strategic and the most significant. The year from which future acts will be referenced. It's going to be so definitive in terms of how things pan out. It's the start of a new year. It's like when, when, when Israel was released from Egyptian bondage. After 430 years in Egyptian bondage, God said to them, I, Today, before you come out, observe the Passover feast. God said to them, This month will be the beginning of months for you. In other words, I recalendar you. Whatever Egypt's calendar is, God said to Israel, your new year starts in the middle of whatever they're doing. Right? So it's a new season, it's a new time. And I really believe the pleasure, the delight, the favor of God is going to be upon us in a way that we've never ever before previously imagined. Never ever before previously imagined. But I want to encourage you, become purpose-oriented. Become assignment-focused. Because if you're doing nothing, why must God give to you great things to steward, resource to steward? If he knows it's going to be wasted on you and not be used for kingdom purpose and for, for kingdom advantage. Do you know in the book of Haggai, there's a very clear, uh, I'll teach the book of Haggai probably in this year, uh, when we, we do some uh, financial and kingdom economics principles, which I believe the Lord clearly instructed me to focus on this year. You know, in the book of Haggai, it says, this people say, it's not time to build the house of the Lord. This people. Now, it's one of the few times where God says, this people and not my people. God doesn't say my people. God says, this people. In other words, when you disconnect from purpose, the people of God become this people. And God doesn't have ownership of them. He says, not my people. Right? So this people say, the time to build the house of the Lord has not, has not come. Um, there's something that I was driving in these thoughts to the church this morning. And these thoughts just um, in my heart. Verse 2. Okay, the word of the Lord comes to him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, this people. Everyone say, this people. 
It's like, like God like is distancing himself from them. Often he would say, my people which are called by my name. But he says, this people. And he says, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. The people say, it's not time to focus on the house of the Lord. Right? And then he says in verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for your, you, you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses, and this temple, my temple, is lying in, in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Tell your neighbor, consider your ways. In other words, put yourself on the scale and weigh yourself in the balances. Assess your priorities. Assess where you're going in life. Assess what you are giving attention to. God says, my house or your house? Is it my house or your house? God says, you focus on building your panel house and my temple is lying in? In ruins? Remember Zerubbabel came back from Babylonian exile and he started to rebuild the temple. They laid the found The foundation. Opposition from foreign nations caused the building activity to, to cease. It literally ceased for 15 years. No building activity took place from foundation. The foundations were established, but it's purely stopped. And there was no priority from the nation giving to the rebuilding of the, of the temple. And you know what? Yes, it was through discouragement because of opposition from surrounding nations. But you know what discouragement can do? Discouragement can make you uh, mix your priorities. The thing you prioritized before becomes a lesser priority for you now because discouragement has gotten the better of you. Never ever let discouragement cause something that should be highly ranked as a key priority in your life to drop lower in the rungs of your estimation and you begin to disesteem it because you've grown so discouraged. Right? Tell you never, be not discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Some of you have to pick up the assignment again. Some of you have to pick your mindset up again. Right? Now, the people, this people say, it's not time to focus on the building of the temple. And God says, but you focus on the building of your, your paneled houses, your own private dwellings. Right? There are multiple applications of this verse, which I don't want to go into now because it will take us on a different focus. But I want to encourage you. It's time to build the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is the family of God. Everyone say the house is the family. Now, we're not engaged in any physical building activity, building a church, because you are the house. You are the house. Tell you, never, you are the house. Right? So when I say building the house of the Lord, it's about building the family quality and characteristic within the, the church of God. If the house of the Lord is not your priority, how then can we expect God to make our houses and families his priority. Them that honor me, declares the Lord, I will honor them. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 13, roundabout. God said, those that honor me, I will honor them. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added to you. I'm here to tell you, I've discovered a major key to favor, a major key to breakthrough is the house of of the Lord. If you focus on building the house, right, and that will imply being faithful to all meetings, right, that will be imply not, not being uh, absent for any whimsical or, or excuse or reason or other initiative that you rank as a higher priority to the house. Right? And when we come, we don't come with selfish uh, or individualistic mindset. We come with the idea of Gathering to meet as a family, hearing the word of the Lord, building up the house of God. Okay, Israel did not have that priority. See, the temple in their day was a center of all activity where spiritual engagement would take place from God with the nation. As long as that lay in ruins, 
purposes of God lay um, suspended. So when God says, well, you focus so much, this, this people focus so much on building your own thing, but my temple is in ruins. Now check what the verse, the next verse, God says, consider your ways. Now let's do some keen introspection on what are you giving emphasis to. For if, if you give emphasis to the rebuilding of the house of the Lord, I want to guarantee us our, our levels of breakthrough and prosperity and the favor we are expecting is because of the priority we give to the house of God. Amen. Now the next verse, I hope I'll get to it. You have, now watch verse 6. And this is a major key. If you want a major key for financial breakthrough, it's verse 6. God says, watch, you have, you've sown much, but you bring in little. In other words, your harvest is not commensurate with the degree of your sowing. Right? Now, and then he says, you eat, but you never ever have enough. You're never ever content and never ever satisfied never content never satisfied you drink but you are not filled with drink and you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes right just look at the next verse quickly i won't go on to this is a separate study or thus says the lord hey this is no big deal Simply examine your ways. Examine your ways. Look at the next verse quickly. Go up to the mountains, bring the wood, and build the, build the temple, that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, declares the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. We often blame the devil, eh? For a lot of things. He must be sitting in a corner somewhere saying, these Christians, every bad thing that goes wrong in their lives, they blame it on me. Right? But God says, who blew it away? God says, I blew it. I blew your harvest away. I obliterated it. Why? Why? And you ask, why? Because my house that lies in ruins while every one of you runs your own house. This is a serious indictment upon Israel for their self-centeredness. They're so closed up, so inwardly focused. Please put up some 102 quickly. Verse 13 and 14. A key, and I really want to encourage the church. You see, if you're going to sow financially and you want the commensurate harvest according to the seeds that you've sown. If you want to sow and you get a harvest from that, but you don't want holes in your bags or holes in your pockets. If you want a harvest that is not blown away by the Lord himself, right? then God says, go up to the mountains, get the wood, and you must build my house. Start here. Tell your neighbor, start here. I want to encourage you. Be faithful to every meeting we have. Be faithful. You demonstrate your priority to the house by coming to gatherings of the house. The you don't come to the house. This is the house. It comes to a building simply to meet. But here, yeah, engagement takes place. Transactions take place. I want to remind you of what the good doctor said to us. Dr. Segi Governor, remember? We had a special meeting here. We taught on faithfulness fuels favor. Remind someone, faithfulness fuels favor. If you, and faithfulness demands regularity, consistency, uh, diligence, sameness. You're there all the time. Dr. Sega said you are one meeting away from a, one meeting away from a breakthrough. You are one meeting away from a breakthrough. Right? You know, God chose David and Joseph because of their faithfulness to tend sheep. Hmm? It says of David, he was tending the sheep. It says of, in Genesis 37, of Joseph, he was with these brothers looking after his father's sheep. 
When you are faithful with little, what does God do? God gives you rulership over much. Remember two areas of faithfulness. There are many, but the two predominant areas of faithfulness that Dr. Seg encouraged us to do. Faithfulness in small things. Because if you are faithful with small things, God gives you rulership over bigger things. Then he said this, faithfulness with that which is another man's. If you're faithful with that which is another man's, God will give you your own. Right? God, will give you your, God will give you your own. Now, the major key to, I believe, even to breakthrough, financial prosperity, experiencing the blessed life, is your attitude to the house. Your attitude to the house will determine the degree of favor on your life. I'll, I'll demonstrate this principle variously in future meetings, but it's encapsulated in this verse. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. You know, mercy as opposed to grace. Mercy is always focused on the alleviation, on the consequences of sin. Right? It's, it's always the compassionate side of grace where I should die. The judge pronounced me guilty of murder in my court case. And he said to me, do you have any last words? And I said, being convicted, may the court have mercy. Mercy is, saying, mercy is not saying I'm innocent. Mercy is saying, okay, I'm guilty, I'm found guilty. But in the consequences attendant with my action, be lenient, bring relief to me in how I manage the results of what I've done. Okay? Mercy is always focused on dealing with the consequences of sin. Right? What did David pray to God in Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God. Right? Give me the grace to bear the consequences of the errors of my ways. Do you know what? One of the greatest um, expressions of favor is mercy. When God deals mercifully with us. Now, how many of you need the mercy of God? I certainly do, right? Who is perfect here? Anybody? Okay, the moment you pick your hand up, I'll show you how imperfect you are. <laughs> Anybody perfect here? All right? Nobody is perfect. Who needs mercy? Every day we need the mercy of God. What does the Bible say his mercies are? New every morning. There's newness of mercy. God's mercy, you can never, ever exhaust it. It's just too much. The Bible says that a God full, abounding in mercy and loving kindness. I'll discuss mercy more fully later. But you know, it's interesting to me, in the latter part of Paul's life, to his most like-minded sons, like Timothy and Titus, very often in his epistles, he just says, Grace and peace be to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever he starts, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But as the apostle got older and more mature, and nearing the end of his ministry, when he writes 1 Timothy, particularly 2 Timothy, and the book of Titus, you know how he starts those letters? Grace, mercy, and peace. To all the other epistles, he simply says grace and peace. But as he matured, he says what these sons of mine are going to need is not just grace, not just peace. I, I declare to you the mercy of God. That God will deal kindly with you even when you mess up, my son. Right? Who's grateful for the mercy of God? Right? If it were not for the Lord who was on our side. Remember that song? Right? Where would we be? Okay? The mercy of God. Now, listen carefully. What does the Beatitudes teach us? In Matthew 5, blessed are what? Blessed are the merciful for what? For they shall obtain mercy. Do you know what Paul prayed for on his sufferers? On his sufferers was a son in the Lord to him. And he says, I pray for the household, not just for him, for him and his house. I pray for the household of honest sufferers that he would find mercy. In the day of the Lord. Right? God will look upon favorably and deal kindly. Who's grateful that what David said, that he's, David says, 
the Lord has not dealt with me according to my sin. If the Lord deals with us as our sins deserve, let me say, none of us would be here today. Come on, who's grateful for the mercy of God? Okay? I don't know why. I haven't planned this as I'm leaving my notes. Right? I really believe God is wanting to say certain things to us. Now, please listen to me. As God is, so are we. I said every initiative or disposition in Him, we must mirror on the earth. If He is, if he is arising to have mercy on Zion, what? So must so must we arise. Now, if he is arising, and the first thing that God says in this favor of mine, the first thing that I'm going to do to not the world, it's to Zion that God wants to be merciful. He says, to my people, I want to show bountiful mercy. Right? Now, come on, who needs mercy? Yeah? You see, we've all messed up. One of the greatest... I would say heartaches of maturity is this, that yes, it is commendable that you've matured and you've moved on. But at a better place in God, being more mature, you often look back and you say, hey, five years ago, if I, was, if I only had this maturity five years ago, I would never have made up the mess and the mistakes that I did. So, one of the downsides of maturity, if I can say, is once you mature, there's a level of regret and remorse you have about how you could have done things. Because at the previous stage, you were a lesser place of maturity. Right? But you know, even despite that, the fact that you've come, the, 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 the better disposition to adopt is this. At the new place of maturity, instead of being regretful and remorseful about how you should have done things, lift up your hands in thanksgiving to God and say, God, thank you that it was because of your mercy that I'm even at this place now. It's nothing more than a demonstration of the mercy of God. Do you know what? Honestly speaking, I wish, okay, this church is about 11 years old. We started. I wish we were only starting the church now. Honestly. Because I'm in a far better place of maturity in my disposition than I was 11 years ago. Okay? Also, please, never leave a spiritual father because he's growing in his maturity. And you leave him at a kink or at a time in his life where he shows weakness in immaturity. And you vacate him then. But little do you know, he's on the path to greater maturity. Right? Like Lot left Abraham. He left Abram and he never experienced the benefits of Abraham. Lot left Abraham in Genesis 13. Lot's name, or Abraham's name is changed from Abram to Abraham in Genesis 17. So if you leave Abram, you don't experience the benefits of Abraham. Right? Who in the right mind will leave Abraham? Right? Now, I'll go to carry it away there, right? So, everyone say, thank God for the mercy of God. Right? Mercy. Mercy. Right? You know what David said? I will sing of the mercies of the Lord as long as I live. With my mouth will I make known the faithfulness of the Lord, he said. Okay? We're going to need more, more doses of mercy as we go along. Now, as he is, so are we. If he's arising, I must arise. Whatever disposition he adopts towards Zion, I in Zion must adopt the same position towards the sons in Zion. If blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If I'm going to obtain mercy. You see, many people fail in this regard. The sovereignty of God is bound up with human cooperation. Now, if you take that verse, blessed are the merciful, for they will do what? Obtain mercy. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to work that one out? So then, let me ask you the question. What must I do to then position myself for more mercy? Huh? Show more mercy, and I will reap mercy. The Bible in the same passage says, for with the measure 
you measure or you meet out, it will be measured back to you. But whatever you sow, you, you, you reap. But when you reap, it will be good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You never ever reap directly with the degree or with, with the, the, the absolute amount that you sow. You always reap more. You, reap, you sow one seed, you reap a forest. Right? So I want to encourage the church, be more merciful right, towards others. Right? Don't be too just. I would rather err on the side of being overly merciful than too judgmental. For with, listen carefully, I would encourage you, be sparing in how you view people. Spare the judgment. Spare the harsh talk. Because in the moment when you're going to need that mercy, you better make sure you've banked up enough. For God to look upon your life and say, wow, Randolph, okay, you made a big mess up now. You've erred greatly in this one. But I see your track record of how everybody else where you should have been judgmental, you consistently showed mercy. Now God says to me, guess what, my son? You've not only going to only be merciful, but you've sown, and I'm, yeah, here's your harvest of mercy. Right? I want to encourage you, be merciful to others. For in the day in which you need it, you're going to need it. Right? Now, guess what? The next verse tells us very, very plainly. Your servants, which is you, you are the servants in Zion. Your servants take pleasure in her stones. And I told you, you are the stones in Zion. Zion is a representation of the, the church. And the stones, We First Peter says, you are living stones. To build up a spiritual house. Everyone say we are a spiritual house. Is it time to build a house? Come on, talk to me. Is it time to build a house? It's not brick and mortar. It's people. It's spiritual stones. If you can position yourself to build another brother or sister up. To help someone up. Guess what? God's going to look upon you. Favor you favor you right i'm not interested in a set of theories that doesn't work practically if i say to you brethren i'm giving you a key the key to your breakthrough is how you position yourself in attitude towards the house the bible says be good to all men but especially to those who are of the household of faith your breakthrough is right here and you can't see it God will position someone in need before you and your position in reference to that person is the key to your breakthrough. But we are so inwardly focused, we can't see and it's, 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 it's right in front of us. Right? And I bet you you can't wait to show an expression of kindness to someone. Yes? You know, I can leave, say amen, bye-bye guys, let's go now. Let's go home and simply do the word. We've become so intellectual. We've become so full of revelation that sometimes the gap between what we know and what we do is poles apart. You know, I'm camping here on this verse. I'm saying, God, okay, we found some, well, we, we counseled some dust yesterday in Zion. Right? It says this, your servants take pleasure in the stones and show Favor. Some versions say show pity to her dust. Pity is like mercy. You've been gracious to the dust in, in Zion. So this is a major, major key for us. Major, major key. I've shared with you uh, repeatedly that it is no use sowing tithes, first fruit, and financial offerings if commensurate or attendant with what you give financially is a right attitude relationally to the house. Right? A right attitude relationally to the house. And if you look at my Prosperity of the Soul series, CD there, I give countless examples of this principle. 
Some of you have been sowing, but you've never seen the attendant harvest. Guess why? You are sowing, you're being faithful, but there's a huge gap relationally in terms of your attitude towards the house of God. Okay, your attitude towards the house of God and towards the people of God. Okay? I won't have time to repeat that. I'm almost tempted to go through all the examples now, but we'll be here until 5 o'clock. Please, Prosperity of the Soul series, get it, listen to it. There's two parts there. Um, this thought, watch. Who's the stones and the dust? Stones and dust are people. Your living stones and dust is a reference to sonship, like I explained. Abraham's seed are like the dust of the, of the earth. S seed, descendants, a reference to, to, to sonship. So I'm saying, God, uh, the Lord's saying to me, Randolph, I'm arising over you to favor you. Your time has come. Your set time has come. Now you, my servant, you favor uh, the dust. You find pleasure in the stones of my Zion to activate this degree of, of favor in your life. I also said to you in Luke 4.18, Jesus said, it's the time of the Lord's favor. Not so? To proclaim the acceptable or the favorable year of the Lord. Go down to verse 19 or 20. To proclaim, verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, other versions say that the NASB, the year of the Lord's favor or the favorable year of the Lord. I said to you, this word year is not 2017 year. Not that kind of year. The word year is a general uh, spatial sphere of existence, quality of life that you find yourself in, in time. It could be any year. It's your life, basically. Okay, so when I say to you, your year, it's not 2017, I'm saying this is the quality of your life indefinitely, right? Perpetually, okay? So let me just say this. The, the he Greek and Hebrew, when it translates favorable year or acceptable year, that is why some versions like this one, the New King James says, the acceptable year. It's the year in which you're going to find greater acceptance with God. That's what it means. You are accepted in the beloved. God is not angry with you. God wants to draw you near in proximity to himself because he wants to bless you. If ever I've, I've felt the pull of the Lord upon my spirit in times of prayer, God saying, now you're praying or you're studying my word, I want to engage you, I want to touch you, I want to, I want to be more intimate with you as my son because you're finding a greater degree of acceptance with me. Right? Remember Esther appeared before the king and she found acceptance with him? Right? He extended the rod of his scepter and the Bible says he found, she found favor in his sight. But remember I explained to you when we studied that verse, the word favor there or the, 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 the grace, karis, she found karis or favor in his sight, it literally means the right of approach. The right of approach. You see, that's why the Bible says she could come boldly then to the king. And in Hebrews 4, it says of us, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find, it says, obtain mercy but find grace in times of our need. Obtain mercy and find grace in times of our need. And I'm sensing this. Please, brethren, do not come to God not with confidence. Do not come to God being unassured. You come confidently. You want to say confidently. Right? It says we, we approach the throne of grace with boldness or confidence. Pahisia, the Greek word of that, simply means frankness of speech. You know when, when someone is frank, not the name, when someone is frank. We use the term frank in their speech. In other words, no time for blurs, you say it like it is. That's what the word means. We approach God boldly. It says we approach Him with, with frankness or courage of speech. Right? So it's not, we don't come there sheepishly or, hey, 
Well, does God even remember my name today? Has he forgotten me? Am I in his, in his bad books today? No, no. We come confidently. You want to say confidently. And I want to encourage us all. God accepts you. That's what I want to emphasize. Today. You are accepted by God in the beloved. God is not angry with you. Today when you pray to him, stand or you kneel, or you lie prostrate, however you pray before him. I want, to, I want to challenge you. Pray this prayer. God, I come boldly. And bold, don't confuse boldness with arrogance. Arrogance and pride is one thing. But boldness and confidence is another. Boldness and confidence is rooted in humility. You're not bold in your own strength. You come in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that gives you access by His blood that has made a way for you. So you come in that strength. So I'm, I'm, I'm sensing... Some of us are not coming as we should. Tell you never come as you should. So when you pray today, when you pray tonight, it's not you're not adopting this, am I accepted? Will he hear this prayer of mine? Is this going to hit heaven or is it going to bounce back directly back into my room? Is this God my father or isn't he my father? Am I his son or am I not his son? You come with confidence and you approach your father. And let me encourage you all. Be frank with him. Frankness of speech. Boldness of speech. Say, God, this is my case. My father. I come to you on this issue. Right? We come boldly. We are accepted in the beloved. And it's the favorable year of the Lord. Now let me end up with this quickly. Okay, just can I have two minutes? I've discovered in my study when Jesus said this, to proclaim the year of God's favor, or to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To the Jewish mind, they construe that and equate it to jubilee. The Hebrew concept of jubilee is this. The word jubilee relates to the number 50. Okay? Which Renee will be this year, but I will be next year. Okay? <laughs> I'm tracking her. Just four months behind, but I'm right there. Okay? And many others here. Oh, who's 15 above? Anybody 15 above? Quinton's there already. I think Evie will be 50 this year. Who else? Who's 50 this year? Let me just see your hands. All the 50 this year people. <laughs> 50. Okay, a few of us. You know every seventh day was a Sabbath day? Yes, you know that? Were they allowed to work on the Sabbath? No, they're to rest. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, there was no creation. It was a created realm called rest that God entered into. And the Bible says He ceased from His works. God is always working, but when it says He ceased from His work, it doesn't denote that He's inactive. He's still working, but He's working now by the principles He's established in six days. So he doesn't have to be actively working to work because he's established laws and principles in the creative order that govern and steward the creation on his behalf. When we say God intervened, when we talk like that, God worked, God came through. Do you know what? God is in rest. He didn't come through for you. He's still in rest. When you say God worked, all you did was activate a principle that he installed in creation that causes his power to work on your behalf. Yes? If I hold this, who wants to bet me $1,000 right now? This is going to go up to the ceiling. If I drop it, it's going to go up. What, what law is that? Gravity. Associated with the theory of relativity as well. Right? Depending on how you view things. Did God come out of rest? To, to say, hey, Randolph's holding keys in his hand. He's going about to, he's dropping it. I'm going to leave my throne to make sure the keys go down. Is God like that? What does God? God has set a law in place in the earth, gravity that governs this action. He's working even though he's still resting. He's working by a principle he's established. Guess what? If you tithe, you will be blessed. You simply activate today a principle in God. Okay, the, the, the power is in your hand to activate uh, that principle. So, on the seventh day they rested. Not so? 
God was trying to teach them a principle. You don't have to be constantly working to ensure your welfare. God was teaching the nation, you can enter rest by having installed principles. There is another application of this, which I don't want to get into now. But do you know every seventh year, that's every seventh day, every seventh year after six years, the whole of the seventh year was no work. How's that? Right? We get national days as holidays. How about a national year as a holiday? You'll all say yes. And you know what, God, you please log this down. Write this down. Leviticus 25. And read the whole chapter. And you know what God said to them? Just look at verse 18, quickly. Which farmer? God says, give the land a rest. Let it lie. Fellow. If you are some farmer there and you say, God, this is not going to work. I have to ensure my survival. I have to get produce to get profit, to, to, to get breakthrough. But God said, I've instituted, I've instituted this. Okay? You know what God says to them to endorse this thing? God says to them, you shall observe my, you shall observe this. You must do it, Israel. Observe my statutes, keep my judgments, perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. And then he said to them, then the land will heal its fruits, and you will eat the fruit. You will eat your full, and you will dwell in it in safety. And if you say, now God is talking because he knows the human mind. God says, okay, I know you've got insecurities about this one. Not farming for a whole year. And not just a whole year. This is what's happened every seven, every seven years. God says, what shall we eat? They, if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? Because we only know to eat you have to, to work. Since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce. Question. Right? What God says to them. Then I will command the blessing on you in the sixth year, God says. How's that for an answer? <laughs> I will command the blessing on you in the sixth year. It will bring forth produce enough for three years. Hmm? God says you shall observe. And watch what he says further. You shall sow in the eighth year. So seven years, no sowing. God says in your sixth year, you're going to reap so much, it will sustain you for the next three years. Nothing in the seventh year. In the eighth year, start sowing again. And you will eat the old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in. You shall eat of the old harvest. Next verse quickly. Okay, then uh, it talks about um, the land returning to rightful owners. Now, let me just quickly, I'm going to summarize this because of time. I can go on and on about the year of Jubilee. I just love the study. Listen carefully. Seventh day is a Sabbath. Every seventh day. Every seventh year is a Sabbath year, not a Sabbath day. No activity. God says, you, if, you, if you follow me in this, don't be too worried about how secure and provided for you will be. You observe my law, I will ensure you are well taken care of. Just learn to, uh, my thing is, whatever position I'm in, you come into the earth. If I'm in rest, you start behaving like you are in, in rest. Tell your neighbor, rest. Rest, rest, rest. Right? Cessation of work, but not inactivity. Okay, more on that later, right? Now, if you do the maths, in the seventh year, the seventh Sabbath year, how many years has passed? 49 years. So every seventh year, you're not allowed to work. After seven Sabbaths, 49 years have passed. Then in the 50th year, God says, you do the same. So the 50th year was what they call their, their jubilee year. Right? It was after seven cycles of seven-year Sabbaths. And in that year, you know what God said to them? God said to them, all debts will be canceled. God said to them, if anybody sold land, in the past 49 years, for whatever reason, the land will revert to you, back to you, as the rightful, as the rightful owner. Thirdly, the third thing about the Jubilee was this. If any Israelite was enslaved as a servant to another during the time of the past 49 years, that slavery is cancelled in the year of Jubilee. 
All slaves are set free. All debts are canceled. Land ownership is reverted back to the rightful owner. The average age of any Israelite was above 50. Okay, as time passes on, so uh, the longevity diminishes. But the point is, at least once in their lifetime, every Israelite would have experienced this. Because huh? it happens every 50 years. Not so? If I was God, I'd say, Lord, I want to be born in the 49th year. That's when I want to be born. So at least in my lifetime, I'm, <laughs> I'm guaranteed of two jubilees. If this is, you know, God's got a wonderful economy here. Eh? When Jesus said, I'm here to proclaim the year of the favor of God. In the Jewish mind, he's saying, for you, it's your jubilee. I'm here to announce jubilee upon you. Now, who needs a jubilee moment? Yes? Let me just say, for some of us, our debts will never ever be paid off for the rest of our lifetime unless there's some supernatural intervention. For me, the jubilee is a year of rest. Tell you never, learn to rest. And you rest by obeying principles. Right? For me, I've, we've worked out uh, in December two weeks ago, uh, as the year closed rather, on the 31st, I pulled out my bank statements from January to December. I determined every income that came into my account, both salary, honorariums, first fruits. We have a record of anyone that put cash in our hand for the entire year. I said to Renee, what was our total income for the past year? What, was, what are we doing? My mindset, I want to determine what harvest I got in. Because I want to determine what kind of first fruit. And say, based upon my, my prior harvest. And what I anticipate in 2017 as an increase in that harvest. I want to give you a first fruit offering. Honor the Lord with your, not with your tithe. The tithe is a level expression of obedience. First fruit is an expression of honor. Honor the Lord with your first fruit. I said to Jolene yesterday, she came into the office. I said, what was the total church income for 2016? All our tithes and offerings corporately. Because from that amount also we determine our first fruit. Do you know why the Lord has sustained this congregation? I believe. Because of our practice of first fruits. We do it at great cost. When you tithe, you tithe out of your past. You've earned income. And you've tithed retrospectively, so to speak. But when you give first fruits, it's the first harvest of your new year. Give that to the Lord. It's very difficult to determine it in a non-agrarian culture. For, for agricultural Israel, it was easy. The first harvest... Of wheat that came, you don't eat it, you give everything to the Lord. But in a modern day economy, I'll teach on this later. Who wants to know about first fruits? I will teach on this in the course of this year. Let me just say, I believe definitively it's the reason for our economic sustenance. How God has blessed us and kept us to this point. Okay? So when I do that, what am I saying to myself? Land of rest. Oh, now, come on, be honest. If you were a farmer in Israel and God said to you, Ian, just leave to the seventh year, do nothing, bro. Just rest, cool. Rest, I'll sort you out. It's difficult, eh? Difficult. But you either observe God's principles or you say to your mind, I'll work this thing out myself and I'll, I'll be able to sustain myself. You're either going to sustain yourself or you're going to rely on God to sustain you. And the way the world is going let me advise you, you'd rather throw yourself to God's principles and say, God, I believe your word. Proverbs 3, 9, 3, 8 and 9. Honor the Lord with your first fruit, with the increase of your substance. Then your barns will burst forth with plenty and your vats will flow with new wine. Amen? Your vats will flow with, with new wine. Come on, stand with me. Everyone say rest. Rest. Um, just congratulate someone and say, it's your jubilee. It's your jubilee. It's your jubilee. There's going to be supernatural cancellation of any slavery or enslaved position or confinement, I believe. Please open your spirit as I say this. 
God's going to release you. If I were an Israelite, I would have loved to experience Jubilee. One of the requests I have when we, when we see the Lord one day, okay, just look at me and I say, Lord, just play back a few incidences for me. Historically, it put me right in the midst of it. One of the things I want to experience is walking through the Red Sea with Moses, being with Joshua in the walls caving, and he shout, I want to see that play. I say, God, you got, must have a video of that somewhere in your archives. Put your big screen, TV, let the whole, all your sons gather. Let's see how this thing played itself out. One of the things I want to ask him is, Lord, exactly what was the experience of a jubilee year when all of these things took place? You know what? That year, it was God saying, no more human effort. I'm going to come in like a flood. I will take care of things. Who needs it? God must just come in and say, you've pushed, you've strived enough. If you observe my way, I'll show you how things pan out. Amen. I am there right now. I'm saying, God, if I use all my present resources, I'm not going to come out. I need you more than ever before. I'm willing to obey you to the point of death like Esther. Courageous unto death. If it costs me my life, then so be it. But I want to observe your principles. Now, brethren, I want, I, I'm speaking as God's servant on his behalf to you today. It's your jubilee. It's potentially the happiest year of your life. I'm not saying without trial. Please, let me prophesy further. This year will be some of your years. For some of you, your greatest trials ever. But in it, in it all, you're going to have unprecedented joy. There will be a resource in you that is able to negotiate trials and difficulties. Amen? So let's, let's just pray. Lift up your hands. I bless you on God's behalf. I bless every single one of you.